what's up everybody welcome back to crossfire faith and gaming my name is reverend david petty and i'm joined by my co-host up here what's up everybody uh welcome back again uh, we are joined today by a very special guest i'll go ahead and let him introduce himself tell us just a little bit about yourself and uh why you're on our podcast today yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Andrew Bear, and I was lead UI programmer on Borderlands 3, and now I've gone out and struck out on my own to start my own business, uh, consulting for various uh, AAA studios. Awesome. Go ahead, Dave. What, what do we got awesome. for questions? Yeah, so we've got a bunch of questions. Uh, some of these questions came in from our community. We told them we were going to interview Andrew on here, and uh, so I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, so tell me about, obviously, you're a game developer. I'm not a game developer. Russ is not a game developer. A lot of our listeners are not game developers. Um, what's it like being a game developer? What's it like in the office? Uh, is it is it all, you know, all roses? You know, are there difficulties? You know, is it hard to communicate between teams? Or are you all kind of in the same department? I don't know. Like, what's a what's a day in the life of a game dev? Oh man, it's it's the dream. I mean, it's it's got its problems. Obviously, there's a lot of hard problems that we need to solve. There's a lot of uh, technical and logical thinking that goes into making these games. A lot of craftsmanship. But honestly, it's the dream. It's what I've wanted to do since I was like in middle school, modifying Battlefield 1942 and that kind of stuff. Um, and it's just a lot of fun to wake up one day and be like, oh, my highest priority is to figure out how to get the goblins in level three to do their animation correctly and run away when they get scared. And that's nonsense. But to wake up and to be immersed in the nonsense every day is just wonderful. Nice. So was it, were you all, um, let's talk specifically about Gearbox. Um, were you all kind of in the same room? Did you have a team nearby? Were you, were you in cubicles? Did you have your own office? Was it one of those modern, uh, everybody works at the same desk and you all kind of bump <laughs> elbows and, and sing Kumbaya together? Like what was, what was it like working at Gearbox? Gotcha. So I was a lead UI programmer and we were coupled with a UI design team. So it was about eh, 10 to 20 of us sitting in one room together, open uh, office plan. And then there were a bunch of different open offices for all the different teams. So you had all the gameplay programmers together. You had all the online people together. You had all the concept artists together, all the writers together. So it was a individual office setting, but each team had their own open office. So I could lean over, see somebody was, you know, having an issue or something and immediately debug it with them and try to work that way. Very nice. Very nice. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, obviously you're working in the games industry. Um, you guys don't put in 20 hour weeks, you put in longer. How do you find time for like balancing family time or, or your religion or any of that stuff in the midst of a pretty demanding job? Oh man, it is a challenge every day because you're doing something that you love so much and it's very easy to get sucked in and think, I can stay five more minutes, I can figure out this one thing and then you look around and the sun's gone down, you're going, ah man, I should have left a while ago, the commute's going to be terrible, and I'll just stay a little bit later, I'll miss the commute and I'll get home the same time I would have gotten if I had left with the terrible commute, it'll be fine. Um, and that's how you get into that trap and you fall into it and then all of a sudden you've got a lot more problems. Um, so it's a conscious effort every day to wake up and say, I'm going to work from here to here. I'm not going to work Saturday and Sunday. I'm not going to fall into this kind of love trap of doing the thing that you love so much that it just kind of fully consumes you. Um, sure. uh, another question, kind of follow up on all this. Um, and, and again, for our listeners, uh, Gearbox Studios, well known for obviously what's behind your head there with uh, Borderlands 3 and and Battleborn and a whole bunch of other games. Um, tell us what are some of the games that you've worked on um, and, and just kind of explain, you know, your connection to those things so everybody kind of knows at home. Yeah, sure. So I got my start in college basically volunteering on various indie titles. So I worked on a title called Depth in the really early days. It's kind of divers versus sharks in a PvP environment. Uh, I worked on a World War One game. I worked on a, a stealth game. I worked on this, that, and the other thing, just trying to figure out, do I really want to do this as a career? And can I do this as a career? Um, that experience I kind of put together into a portfolio, which is the worst art. I, it was my own art that I put into my portfolio. Oh God, programmers should not do portfolios. Uh, and turned that around and that landed me the job at Gearbox. Um, and so I worked on Battleborn first 
Um, I was three years on Battleborn, and then I kind of proved myself, or however you want to put it, and they promoted me to lead. And so I was lead UI programmer on Borderlands 3 for three years. Very nice. I know, um, Russ, you play a lot more games than I do, so I'm going to let you ask the question about games, and uh, I'm, I'm going to defer to Russ for the next couple of questions here. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, so being a developer, you know, I, I've always wondered, because I have this issue sometimes, too, of especially, like, when I've gotten into, like, streaming games, I almost get tired of games, and so I have an issue with playing them a lot um, on my own time. I end up taking a break. How do you balance the idea of you work on games, you know the background of it? I can only imagine because even when I've sat and like watched movies with some of my friends who do movie stuff, um, you know, they sit there and they'll explain stuff and, you know, they see how things work and you don't you kind of lose the magic, uh, I would say, of 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 understanding this thing happening in front of you. How does it feel when you actually play games being a developer and knowing kind of the secrets behind what's happening? Gotcha. Um I can't speak for, you know, a generalized opinion, but for me, it's always been one and the same. Playing and making games have always been interwoven. Um, mentioned earlier that I started out, like, modifying Battlefield 1942. I also did some soft modding for Halo 2, just getting in there with a hex editor, and now you've got an automatic sniper rifle with a million rounds in it, that kind of stuff. Um, and so those two things have always been conflated for me. They've always been, okay, I'm going to see how they tried to do it. Okay, what if I tweaked it this way? How does that work? Okay, what if I tried this? And so when I play games nowadays, it's like, oh, I, I see what you did there. Like, oh, that's, that's really clever. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep that in mind. It's going to be inspiration for something else <laughs> later down the line. Yeah. Um, so what would you say, like, what are some of your favorite games? What are some of your favorite um systems to play on whether it's pc console whatever that looks like and you know what are what are some of your favorites and maybe what are you playing most recently sure sure so um, my favorites are all over the place so i'm a huge ace combat fan ace combat 4 oh, especially that original soundtrack oh right to the heart it's so good um was never one for fighting games, but huge into every first-person shooter you can name. So Call of Duty and Halo and the Battlefield series, of course. Like, I've always been a huge fan. Um, RTS titles. I, I keep getting it in the back of my head. Like, I should like RTS titles. These are strategic. These are grand, you know. the Getting a little older, the, the Twitch-like reflexes are starting to go. We got the gray hair and everything. I'm like, man, I should like RTS titles. I just can't get into them. I just can't do it, no matter how hard I try. Um, but it's like, I should like these. Um, and I love XCOM likes. Uh, everybody has a different phrase for them, but I'm just going to kind of classify them as XCOM likes. That kind of tactical games instead of the grand strategy games with the individual units and in movement. Uh, huge fan of those. So Mutant Year Zero, uh, Partisans, those are two titles that I've been playing recently, trying to get through the Steam backlog, of course. Um, and that's pretty much it okay um another question kind of going off of that um and again this goes with kind of like a dream thing we'll we'll jump to this kind of question because i i would love to kind of hear what your thoughts are um you know we talked off air you're working on some stuff you can't tell any of us can't tell us mm -hmm. who you're working with what you're working on that's fine um, maybe we'll have you back on in the future and you can be like, that was the game I was working on when I <laughs> interviewed with you guys in like 10 years. Um, well, 10 years if it's like GTA 6. Um, uh, what would be a dream scenario of either a, 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 a game series to work on or a studio that you would love to work with? Oh, man hitting me hard and it's like choosing you know <laughs> favorite child or something like that uh i would love to work on an ace combat i'm very serious about that i love the dog fighting games uh, flying around in a jet flying around in some sort of crazy souped up high speed chase to take down the bad guy before you can get take down by his wingman like ah would love to work on an ace combat game um besides that probably some sort of uh gears or halo game something that you know i grew up playing would love to just complete the circle and just come right back to like okay now i'm in oh god i'm an industry professional oh god i've been doing this for years like i kind of want to come back and be like ah yes i worked on that I, like the middle schooler who dreamed of working on battlefield is now actually doing the thing would love to to complete that arc 
yeah that would be that would be crazy just thinking about some of the games i grew up playing and being a part of that in some way or another um another question kind of going off you know obviously we're a faith-based podcast and, mm-hmm. and you know that's really our background so how do you see faith interacting with games but also how do you see your faith interacting with the industry that you work in um because you know we we've interviewed a few um you know christian based developers um obviously the development on the christian based side of games has not gotten to the place that other AAA studios are at but sure. Uh, being somebody kind of within the actual mainstream portion of it, you know, how does that play out and, and where do you see that kind of intersecting? Oh man, I, it is kind of the touchstone. It is the, I won't say the, the it is the guiding principle. I don't know why I'm shying away from that. It is something that I keep coming back to of trying to figure out everything from scheduling people to work on certain tasks to talking about career advancement with the the people who worked for me to trying to figure out what the next right move is i mean you know leaving a cushy job as a lead at a triple a studio and turning around and going at it solo and then to try to bring on people that's just i mean if i do it wrong that's a huge burden that i'm putting on myself and on others and so that's a bit of stewardship that i'm trying to engage in and trying to figure out how to navigate and that's a lot of prayer a lot of hey i don't know if i'm doing the right thing here i am trying my best do, do you have any ideas <laughs> no. ah um so it is a lot of trying to just keep it back to that touchdown of trying to keep one uh, one foot on shore one foot in the ocean you know yeah um one more question that kind of got me sure. thinking a, a little bit um where what is your goal in your career like where what is your down the road dream scenario goal like are you somebody that wants to start their own like you kind of already started your own studio it's you um but are you wanting to get to a point where it's like i have people under me and we develop our own game and it's called you know andrew bear studio or bear studios you know (laughs) gotcha um so the the name of my studio is Aspiring Unicorn Games. We are okay. aspiring to be unicorns within the the games industry, and that's not the the fintech unicorn of uh, high return on investment. It's not that kind of unicorn. The unicorn I'm talking about is somebody who prides themselves on creating a sustainable environment for creating games. Uh, you don't hear of a lot of people having retirement parties for video game developers. It's not really an industry that's prone to a lot of that kind of stuff. And I want to be part of that iteration, that change to make video game development uh, not only a respected career, but a full career. This is something somebody did and they retired from. Gotcha. So I guess that brings me to our next question, um, which is uh, one of our, our guys sent in this question and, uh, you know, there's obviously as a programmer, you could do all sorts of things. You could be programming business software. You could be, you know, programming uh, all sorts of different things. Um, sure. What kept you in games? Uh, you know, is it is it the passion? Is it the you know the money, the the wealth, the fame? The I, I don't know. What is it that uh, for you that's kept you in the games industry and not not somewhere else? Well, it's not the wealth or fame. Uh, coming out of college, I had an offer from a non-game development studio uh, studio company. Let's call it what it is, right? Um, that was for twenty grand a month, or I'm sorry, twenty grand a year, twenty grand a month, uh, higher than what I was being offered, and I turned that down. It was a respectable company. It was, you know, one of those household names. It's like, hey, do you want to come and work for us for a lot more money? It was, nah, I'm gonna do this thing instead. And it's uh, not about the fame either. I mean, you know about Miyamoto, you know about the major titans, and you know about the studios, but the the people in the trenches like myself and the folks that I've had the pleasure of working with, you don't really hear those names thrown around. That's not, our industry hasn't gotten to that point like movies where you can be like, ah, yeah, I know a Wes Anderson film at the drop of a hat. Um, so for me, it is about the passion. It's about sitting down and having the luxury of talking about the goblin on level three and making sure that he runs away at the correct time. I love that nonsense. I love being immersed in the capital N nonsense that is video games. That's the dream come true right then and there. Everything else is icing. So um, with gaming, and you said that, you know, you started off modding, you, Mm -hmm. you moved on to, to gaming. 
what was the point that you think you hit where you're like, because you told me you were like doing it to test the waters, see, okay, do I want to do this full time? Do I want this to be my career? Um, what do you think was the moment where you were like, okay, this I'm done. I'm doing games. This is what I love to do. Um, this is amazing stuff. I can't wait to see where this goes. What, what, what do you think that moment was for you? Oh man, I'm not sure I've hit it yet, to be quite honest with you. Like that's a little bit of the imposter syndrome coming through. <laughs> just be like, hey, maybe this isn't forever. Maybe you'll get a real job. Um, there's a little bit of that coming through. Maybe you're not good enough to cut this. But uh, when did I realize that I could at least have a stint in games? I'm hoping it's a full career, but we'll see what happens. Um, was the first day at Gearbox was walking in, getting through the programming tests, getting through the interviews, getting through onboarding and moving from Ohio to Texas and setting up shop and then stepping in the first day and having somebody hand me an ID card and say, okay, go fix this issue with the flashbang grenades and be going, okay, I don't know how to do that, but I'll find out. That's, that's insane. That is, <laughs> that is, it is actual stuff right there. Yeah. That would be, I, I can only imagine what that feeling would be that, that first day and getting through all that. Do you have to, uh, do you have to pinch yourself a little bit and kind of, you know, every day, every day that I seriously back to the capital and nonsense every yeah. day. It's, ah, oh, we need to have a serious heated debate about whether the flashbang grenade effect should be three seconds or two seconds. It's like, that's, that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but I understand why we're all being intense about it. So, nice. I mean, we're all, we're all gamers. We all understand all that stuff. But for me, when I, I love behind the scenes stuff. I love, I'm a huge person. I watch documentaries. I watch, you know, how things were made. Um, I, I watch any type of game uh, documentary. You know, my favorite one was the Amazon Last of Us documentary that they did. That's like several hours long that talks about how they every piece. So going into the behind the scenes and obviously having you here, um, what's a fun or interesting story that you have from, you know, Borderlands 3 or, or Battleborn that, you know, it would be an interesting story or something that you can share with us that you kind of went through behind the scenes on those games? Yeah, absolutely. There was a bug. I don't know. I don't even remember the bug. I just remember it being bad. I remember us being up against a milestone. Just, we'll just call it the bug. I don't remember what it was. It, who knows? I don't even remember the solution. But I remember all of us sitting around for about mm, six hours straight, my full programming team sitting down and all of us trying to figure out this one bug. We had three embedded QA testers. We had four programmers locally, three more at a sister studio in Canada. Like all of us were sitting here trying to A, reproduce it, and B, figure out what caused it. We weren't even worried about the solution yet. We're just trying to get to what is this? Um, and to look around and see everybody laughing and joking and eating pizza that we ordered, because of course we ordered pizza. And to see that moment of this intense situation where all of us are feeling the heat, the milestone is tomorrow, we have to get this done, coupled with the joking and the camaraderie and the taking a break to eat pizza, like those two things fused together is what video game development is to me. It was just the quintessential nutshell moment to take a bite of pizza, sit back in my chair a little bit, look around and see my coworkers, my friends joking and enjoying this time together. Like that was, oh, that moment will live rent-free in my head forever. That's just a, a extremely special moment to me. So expanding on that a little, because sure. you brought some ideas into my head of like, okay, here's you guys, a whole team, six hours, just sitting there trying to figure out one bug, okay? <laughs> Recently, in about the last year and a half, we've, you know, uh, us outsiders, you know, we get <laughs> we get upset with delays, we get upset with delays. You know, I think it's getting to a better point where a lot of gamers are are now in, you know, they're appreciating the delays because they're like, I want a perfect game. I don't want, I don't want you to have to rush and put something out that's incomplete. Obviously, the biggest example of that in the last year was the cyberpunk fiasco of last <clears> year. What were your thoughts on seeing that happen? And what is your feelings towards like the developers and letting us outsiders know kind of, 
you know, how would you feel if Borderlands three had like the same, same type of launch and same issues and, and you had to deal with all the same things that they did? Like what, what was your feelings going through and watching that happen? I have sure, a follow sure. when you're done. Okay. 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 Um, so the 30,000 foot view is the, okay, this game is getting delayed. Okay. This game has a lot of bugs. Okay. This game has a lot of bugs and it's, it's easy to, to see that progression and go bad studio. The one foot view, the on the ground looking at what's happening, is that every game releases with bugs. Every single one. Some release with terrible bugs, save deletions, crashes, infinite loops, like bad bugs. Every time. We we haven't nailed it. We haven't gotten it perfect yet. It's not a thing we can do. Not for a non-trivial game. That's where we are. Um, and in order to sit at the top of a studio like that and to make that call of okay listen we're running out of money or maybe hey we made this contractual obligation to release this game at this milestone i'm not talking about cd project red in particular here i'm just talking in the ethereal made-up studio sense um but to be sitting in that chair and going okay we've got some bugs maybe the zero day patch we can get this stuff fixed maybe it won't be as bad maybe it's super rare to reproduce these bugs but somebody has to make that call or a committee somebody some group has to make that call in order to say hey we can't do this forever we have to pull the trigger eventually and i do not envy that person or people even one iota that is such a hard call to make and you know all the developers from quality assurance to your leads to your technical director to your senior animators to your principal online programmer who's responsible for the transactions at whatever everyone is saying this isn't ready we need more time and then you have a publisher or you have storefronts who want to press the game and get it out to people saying we are out of time we can't give you another day and somebody has to make a call and they get it wrong and I think that's what we saw with Cyberpunk. We just, it needed more time. I don't know the specifics, of course, but maybe there just wasn't enough time for pick a reason. And they had to pull the trigger. I mean, I can only imagine on their side. I mean, you de- they delayed it four times, I think. And that's like, that's unheard of. I don't, I, there's yeah. not many games out there that get delayed that many times. Usually after the first delay, if they delay again, they just delay for a longer period to make sure they have enough time so they don't do that um but yeah just seeing that one go through the four different delays and it was almost becoming a joke of last year of like is cyberpunk even real is it a real game like um so i can only imagine yeah the pressure of having to finally push something out dave you have you had a follow-up question on that yeah you know i'm uh and i guess two follow-ups right um so the first follow-up question i guess was um you know how is it like is there is there i don't know just just how is it working when you've got to be the creative person you're building a thing but, you know, there's there's the creative side of game studios, but then there's the corporate side, right? Like, this is a business. And at the end of the day, like, somebody's trying to make money and somebody's trying to keep, you know, shareholders happy or owners happy or, you know. Well, your paycheck. Do you have any, any thoughts on the, you know, and especially now running your own game development company, do you have any thoughts on the, the balancing act between art and commerce there? Oh man! Uh, again, let me let me take it down to the the, the trench level. Um, so I had a UI design partner, Pat, for years and years. This is who I made Borderlands 3's UI with. We had a team behind us, but it was Pat and I trying to get our two teams to work together to create the user interface. Um, and every day was a conversation along the lines of, "Hey, can we do X?" maybe we can do x or a modified version because of memory concerns because of just timelines and what people were working on which piece when maybe you know so and so handles the font stuff and they're on vacation for a couple of weeks no we can't get it done all right what different font thing can we do in order to meet the same requirements oh we can't even get there great we have to cut this feature right now and it was those difficult conversations every single day. And that's not hyperbole. That is, there was at least one every day. Um, and so in order to take that and multiply it by every team and every member of every team and everybody outside the development team, the publisher and the marketing people and everyone else, and then to to look at all those big conversations and how that network just grows into this giant behemoth, 
it's a miracle any game gets made. Like those, are, there's so many things that can go wrong. Yeah. So with that, I guess the the other question I have, and of course I, I know you haven't been in game development necessarily long enough for this question, um, but I'm wondering, <laughs> you know, you talked about every game ships with some amount of bugs, right? <laughs> Do you think that the ability to have a day zero patch uh, changes that versus, you know, let's say 20 years ago where, you know, when you ship to disc, that's the disc that goes in the PS1 and and that's going to be, you know, there's no day one patch. There's no, there's no day 30 patch. I mean, it's whatever's on the disc is on the disc. Um, Have you heard any stories about, you know, back in the day or, you know, did, did games just get delayed more or did they ship with bugs that were just on the disc? I mean, what's, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. I think even if you take it back to the arcade years, they had kill screens. They just had, hey, we can't fix this bug because your score got too high or whatever value. So we're just going to kick you out of the game and say, good job, you did the thing. Or we're, or it's just going to be a glitchy mess. I mean, even going back that far, you want to talk about not being able to change anything. That You can't even swap the disc out. You have this hardware that does the thing in the arcade. Um, and so bringing it forward just a little bit to the... To, ps1 and original xbox era that you're talking about um i don't have any stories about people delaying things but there are uh, articles every once in a while that come out of some developer talking about hey we had this cert requirements that if you knocked on the playstation at just the right time that it didn't freak out and so in order to get past that cert requirement we kicked you to a secret cheat menu because we could detect the error we just couldn't fix the error so we just made it a feature you have a lot of those kinds of stories of those clever, elegant solutions. It's a feature, elegant. not a bug. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We yeah. just turned it into a feature, and now it's fine. <laughs> so I guess that that brings me up to our next question, which uh, is: Have you ever shipped anything? Um, maybe you know. We'll get to what's the thing that you've programmed you're most proud of. Um, but have you ever shipped anything that you're necessarily not proud of, or you said, you know, okay, it's good enough, and you you. Can he actually say that? I mean, I we, we don't want you to get in trouble by like saying throwing a game that you were part of under the bus or anything. I got you. I got you. This one is uh it's pretty public. There's a lot of accounts of it happening on Reddit and other things. Okay. But in the gold version of Borderlands 3, if you played the game for long enough, some of the strings, the text that would appear in various parts of the UI would get scrambled. They'd trade places, they'd be wrong, they'd say stuff that didn't make any sense. It's a memory corruption issue. It's um some part of Scaleform or how the implementation of Scaleform interacts with Unreal Engine 4, I could never figure it out. Uh, I could never figure out where the memory corruption was happening because it happened after hours of play. And it was like five to 30 hours, and then it would happen once, and then it would scale up. And it was this exponential of it would happen more and more often. Five to 30 hours, even after five hours, that's so many different operations of strings and concatenations and splits and finds and just length calls to figure out where the text should go and in order to get the numbers to show up correctly in the, the strings that we're showing on screen. That's it's so much data to try to sift through it and try to figure out, ah, yes, if this one string says 52 instead of 53, ah, yes, that's where the bug came from. But you can't. It's way too much data. It's drinking from the fire hose and hoping for the best. It's. I tried a couple of different times for multiple days to just sit down and be like, okay, I'm ahead of my tasks. I'm going to sit here and try to figure this out until I'm behind on my tasks in order to figure it out. Never could. Never got it. We shipped that way. And I okay. hate that so much. But mm. at some point, like I was saying before, you have to pull the trigger. You have to say... Man, I hope this is good enough. Eh? Yeah. So what um, work? Go ahead, Russ. Well, so you mentioned a little bit ago, you know, every day when you guys were working, you guys had to decide, okay, this isn't going to make the game or this isn't going to make the game. Um, if you're able to, is there anything that was really cool that you thought was going to be great, but unfortunately either because of time or things that just stopped you. Is there anything from like Borderlands 3 that you guys had to pull that would have been a cool feature that you're allowed to say? I'm not allowed to answer that question. Okay. I'm going okay. to play it, it safe here. Just no, say, that's no, fine. I'm gonna, that's fine. Yeah, I'll stick. I kind of figured I just, I wanted to see, you know, if there was something that, you know, maybe some people knew about or whatnot. 
Um, Speaking of which, though, I mean, obviously, you are you have NDAs in the business. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. things that you can't say. Um, For you, what is it like, you know, having those restrictions put on you that it's like, you have to be very careful what you say anywhere, because that if any information gets out to the news or the media, you know, all of a sudden it's top story of the day. What's it like having to kind of circle around those things regularly, even just probably with random people that you don't even know? Gotcha. Yeah. And I have to be careful answering this one because I feel my heart goes out to the poor people in HR or the poor people updating their resumes. And they say, oh, worked on hugely anticipated title that could you know some article is going to come out and say like oh man this thing was announced on this person's resume like oh my heart goes out to those people they're just trying to do their job and that's that's awful um but yeah having an nda and working on a game is like seeing a movie and then going to dinner with your friends who haven't seen the movie yet you're all fans you're all excited about it you want to talk about it you want to spoil it and tell them what's going to happen and you're so excited but you can't. You can't do that to your friends. And it, you just don't want to ruin the experience for them. And then add on top of that that you have an NDA, and I am very afraid of lawyers. And then add on top of that that it could change. That major story beats or bits of dialogue or mechanics or even the colors of different things can change even up to the zero-day patch. And so you, you don't want to lead people astray. You don't want to spoil things. You don't want to get in trouble it's those kinds of things we we saw that i mean this time last year uh or or june last year when the last of us part two had its entire story spoiled what a month and a half two months before and it caused an uproar because people not in the context of the game they just got to hear all the story beats and it's like until you actually play the game those story beats have much more meaning to them than just hearing this happens or this happens and this is how it ends. And this is what happens. And everyone's like, well, that sucks. But it's like, you actually go through the motions of playing it. You're more invested in that story. And those beats actually make more sense. So in that sense, yeah, it, it could definitely ruin an experience. I mean, look at that. I mean, all those people, I know so many people that refused to play it because they heard what the story was. And I'm like, but it, even though that was the story, it felt completely different having to actually play through the game and experience it firsthand um so i i can imagine that not being not being the most fun (laughs) on stuff that you have going on Um, yeah because i mean you can do that to anything right you can reduce it down you can be like oh yeah star wars that's the one about the space wizards and the family drama you're like i mean (laughs) technically correct also no (laughs) yes that is a great way of 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 summing up star wars in a way that's terrible reduction way but technically <laughs> correct uh, david what, what else do you have another oh, yeah. question well i following up on the nda thing you know um yeah. do you think that that the ndas in place are fully necessary do you think that they're that there are too many ndas you know i i get the sense sometimes there's ndas that are out there that it's like well you know i can't talk about the fact that i'm not working you know on this thing but it's like you know, but it, but it's not, how do I put it? It's, it's not a secret, <laughs> you know, it's like, like everybody knows this thing is coming out. Everybody knows that this thing is, is, you know, there's nothing secret about the story. There's nothing secret about who's working on it. But for some reason we got this NDA that I can't tell everybody that like, we're working on the next such and such. Yeah. So do you think, do you think they're totally necessary? Do you think they're overly encumbering? Uh, Oh man, such a uh, that's a difficult chestnut to crack, but let, we will try. So it's exactly like what you're talking about. You know, famous studio is working on FPS Shooter Man Three. Like, yeah, okay, duh. Of of course they are. They're they like money. They like making this game. They're going to stick with the IP, of course. Um, and so there's that level of it. There's also the um, talking about the reductiveness of ways that you can leak things or spoil things and kind of uh, not ruin it for people, for lack of a better uh, verb there. But the way that marketing people release things and the way that they tell the narrative of the narrative, if you will, is extremely important. And to kind of onboard people into what you're trying to get out and trying to get them to pick up and ultimately play and purchase and enjoy. And so 
part of it is to kind of protect that and to make sure that there is one unified message that's talking about how they want to release their thing. Um, the I love bees uh, ad campaign for Halo uh, many years ago, many oh, eons man. ago. Um, if anybody would have spoiled that, if somebody would have spoken up, that would have ruined the whole thing, right? So uh, it's a little bit of that. It's also, I think it is a little bit too ham-fisted of an approach to make it a legally binding document and something that you have to adhere to or irreparable harm is the phrase that's used in all those NDAs and it's a lot of pressure for you know me graduating 21 years old and joining Gearbox. I mean, like, yep, irreparable harm. I got this, guys. I'm responsible. Um, yeah, here, here you go, 21 year old. Uh, why yeah. don't you just just carry the weight <laughs> of the entire fine. company on your shoulders, and uh, you know we're gonna <laughs> sue you for every last cent you have if you if you tell one of your friends at lunch that you're working on this game. Yeah, yep. but I can I can especially I can especially understand and respect that I think when it comes to from a marketing standpoint wanting the messaging and the timing of things you know I do think that there are those things that if you hear about them too far in advance people are like oh yeah I was excited about that three years ago when they announced it but since we haven't heard anything about it I kind of wrote that whole franchise or that whole title off you know uh, talk to me when it actually releases because right now it's just smoke and mirrors. Well, not just that. I, that was kind I of go what back. Cyberpunk. Yeah, I go back to you know moments as a, a gaming fan that I appreciated the most. They were when you know a game game B gets announced, but it's not just it's not just such and such game is going to come out. It's you know seeing that trailer all of a sudden randomly. It's you know the couple years back at E3 when PlayStation dropped like bomb after bomb of games that people had no idea were in development. When we saw. Shenmue 3 when we saw Final Fantasy 7 remake for the first time all in the same conference and it just made people go nuts um and get the hype really going if that was just something that just got announced like a month earlier of just like oh by the way Sony's working on Final Fantasy 7 remake it's a real thing it'll be out in you know a year or two um I don't think it would be the same as you know when we saw the trailer and the camera pan down and then all of a sudden you see Cloud and everybody goes nuts because they realize what it is. Like, I love those moments and I love experiencing those things and going crazy. Not having that moment and just hearing from such and such the games in development, it makes me excited, but not the same level of excitement. So I can definitely see from a marketing standpoint why, you know, that messaging is really, really important. Um, going so, back again. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Dave. <laughs> I, yeah, I was, was going to say, <laughs> Keep it on um, you know, speaking of, of secret hidden things, Sure. Um, I was wondering, have you ever personally programmed or are you aware of any fun uh, Easter eggs in any titles you've worked on that uh, that we might not know of? And have, have you ever personally programmed them? And how was and that? Can he tell egg? us about them? Yeah, there's the <laughs> yeah, it's, NDA it's about all released stuff. I can talk about this. An NDA um, about the Easter egg that you're not allowed to tell anybody. What was that? There was an Easter egg recently that came out, right? That was like 20 years old. Somebody's like... There was an Easter egg in some 20-year-old game that they were like, nobody ever found. We figured somebody would find it. Nobody ever did. But anyway, so Easter egg, talk to us about it. Sure. So I'll give you two. Um, in Battleborn, we all got like a one-sentence credit bit. Like, you know, that's when people thank their parents or whatever. And I was a jerk, and instead of doing any of that nice stuff, I said um, it was some sort of like Morse code or hex code or something like that. It's like, keep digging. And the implication being that there was some big digging related Easter egg hidden in the game and that people needed to go find it and that maybe my name was a thing. And I still get every once in a while, somebody will mention me on Twitter or, you know, hit me up on Facebook or something like, hey, I found your Easter egg. What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. That's it. That's you heard the it. joke. You heard it here. Okay. This, oh, is, man. this is happening. Oh, you heard it here dead. first. Your oh your Easter egg in the credits of Battleborn <laughs> means an empty shell. Nothing. nothing. It means absolutely nothing. I just oh, was man. a jerk twenty something who wanted to be like, ah, this will keep him guessing. You're, you're yeah, the guy that little... that at Easter actually hides completely empty eggs. Some poor kid opens it up, thinks there's candy, and it's just empty. That's exactly or or even that even worse, it has a note inside that says "keep digging," and some kids in his Keep backyard. Like, he's just you see oh, the just going ham on the lawn, like, just going to China, and he's just like, "Where's the treasure? I don't." Oh, oh my gosh, that is oh, that's that is delightful. Oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> it's good. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I just love oh. the mentions. Like, what does it mean? Like, 
<laughs> random people finding it. Oh, that's awesome. That's good. Um, and then the second one, um, in the goal version of uh, Borderlands 3, every once in a while, you know, UI design will get ahead of UI code or UI code will get ahead of UI design. And we just need to do the other person's job. So designers will do uh, visual scripting languages to kind of like stub in the approach a little bit to get the animations working at the right time. Or sometimes UI programmers get to do some nonsense UI arts, the garishest of pinks and most atrocious blues, just the worst looking stuff that you can put in. Every once in a while, we get a little inspired. And so I created this terrible, terrible Photoshop of Claptrap with like Bob Ross's hair and a paintbrush, just like trying to paint the planets in our 3D map as quickly as possible as a loading image. Just to be like, oh yeah, we're loading. It's just Claptrap just frantically painting. Um, that image actually made it into the game by accident. <laughs> it's, it's just the stock image. It's the, the source art image in the, the map. So it just was baked into everything else and we just forgot about it. And so if you get a gold copy of Borderlands 3 and you open up the map fast enough, you can actually see it briefly. It just comes up and it's just right there and then it goes okay. away. It's okay, awesome. Everybody, everybody at home who's listening to this right now, go play your Borderlands gold copy and do that real quick and you guys can tweet at us or message us and say, we saw Bob Ross Claptrap um, from <laughs> nice. the podcast. That is that is hilarious. Um, oh, so man. the question I wanted to ask, you said you've worked on Unreal a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm probably a lot, I'm assuming. Basically um, my whole career, yep. Yeah, it's, so yeah. we we as fans for the first time, like I think everybody got into it, the new Unreal uh, conference that they did, where they revealed like the the new Unreal and what it can do, and you know, it has yeah, it has the it has the 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 background loaders and and you know all all the all the crazy stuff that we don't understand that looks amazing, and I've heard from other developers who like broke down the video and were just like. This is insane stuff. This is going to make developing so much easier. Like we don't have to program every little pixel. Like we can load things in, scan things in, do things like that. You know, I'm assuming that you're working with new Unreal Engine. Um, what has been your thoughts? Ross, he can't, you he can't talk about that. <laughs> he can, he can just say that he's working in it. We all know all the developers are working on Unreal he, Engine. He can't right tell now. us if he uses a keyboard or not. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, ask a man if he's using a keyboard or not. What are you doing? Come on, <laughs> keyboard or mouse um, or controller? Or, or yeah, touchpad. Come on, touchpad oh, virtual uh, keyboard on the okay, screen. That's where thumb I mean. thing. What is what is the trackball? Trackball? Yeah. yeah, just it's a flipped over mouse, and I just use the trackball with my thumb. Don't even put the mouse down. Oh, rocking the claw on a controller. Um. <laughs> So how, how's it been working on it? Has it has it been as like accelerated as it it seems? Um, are you guys gonna be able to make some really awesome things with it? Uh, what are what are some things from a developer side that you've noticed from from it? I'm most excited for Nanite. I think Nanite is like giving us people who have been working with horse and buggy a Ferrari and saying, "Have fun." It's going to be revolutionary for us. You're going to see a higher fidelity in everything. And I think it's going to cut down on a lot of popping issues where you see the level of detail go from like a, eh, it's a stick figure to like a fully fleshed out human. I think you're going to see that problem all but disappear in the next couple of years with games coming out on UE5. Um, <clears throat> I think that's a huge step forward. Um, and man, I just can't get past it. I can't get past what they're able to do in Nanite that the virtualization of the geometry that they're showing and the millions of triangles that they can push on screen is just i keep waiting for the other shoe to drop i keep waiting for something to go wrong for them to be like oh it's not millions it's you know this over here like we're hiding it it's a lot of smoke and mirrors and everything that i download everything that i read is like no really it's millions of triangles no <laughs> no but actually and it's awesome Nice. Do you think do you think UE5 is going to see this is kind of the problem. It's the whole idea of, you know, as you get more power, is it going to make things easier, but what ends up happening is you just push things further so you're still at that same like point. Is it going to make development faster for you guys or are you guys just going to be going way past where you are now and taking up the time anyway with just even more awesome things? Oh man, you're talking about the arms race. You're talking yeah. about 
development versus tools and an endless arms race to outpace the other. You know, you get the new tool, you get the Unreal Engine 5, and then all of a sudden we learn how to use it, and then we learn how to do some crazy stuff with it. And then the tools get ahead of us, and then you keep going back and forth in that endless arms race. Um, I think right now in, in the loop that that is, we're at the, oh my god, we just got the Ferrari. What can we do with this? Yeah, we can drive around. You can get groceries in a Ferrari, but what if we take it on the Autobahn? Okay, what if we take it to space? What if we just do absolutely ridiculous things with it that the original developers did not intend and did not fully acknowledge were possible? Like, I'll, we're a couple years away from that happening. We're going to see some good titles come out, some titles that are studios learning to use the new tools. And yeah. then we're going to see people learn to improve upon the tools with them just creating unbelievable things that I can't even conceive of sitting here right now. But we'll see that three years from now. Easy. It'll yeah, be I awesome. I was curious. What, do you know what are like what are the some of the first titles that we're gonna see with UE five? No, I I don't. Well, because that's still a couple a couple games have come out and said that they're gonna use UE five, but I can't remember what they were. Okay. Um, you have to assume. Uh, gosh, who uses Unreal Engine usually? Oh, I don't even know off the top of my head who who it could be. Because I mean. Uh, a lot of the Sony devs, they use their own stuff. They use the Decima engine and the, you know, the Fox engines now out at Konami. That's no longer there. And then obviously, um, Gorilla's uh, own stuff. They use their own stuff. It seems Sony does more than uh, Unreal. Um, they mm. like their own proprietary uh, stuff. So I, I can't really think. I, it'll be interesting to see because I'm sure they're gonna make a big deal out of it. Because after that press conference and making gamers go nuts about like oh my gosh this looks ridiculous for just a demo like what what are people going to be able to do with an actual full-fledged game um so i'm i'm very excited to see it um i just want to play that actual game like whatever that game was with the person <laughs> and the thing and, like, isn't the that how it around i was like yeah. sign me up for that one i don't know what title that is but hopefully hopefully isn't somebody somewhere's working on it for real works. they're like no it's just a demo there's no story i was like <sighs> Give me, give me some lore. Some of the best stuff, and nobody ever turns them into games. You know, you go back to I know. You had the uh, you had the Milo demo, which never became a game. Uh, you had PlayStation Three at their launch. They had some crazy like secret agent slash action game where it showed like a car crashing into a gas station, and then like a, a shootout happening, and it looked amazing. Never got made into a game. Um, it, it just seems they get all these great ideas for demos. It's like people really like that. You should just do that use it as a, a jumping off point but you know maybe maybe you can do that andrew you can say like hey i'm gonna go find some i, I want to do the jumping game i want to can you give me some of the stuff for that i want to do the game <laughs> oh uh, man um, yeah. well dave do you have uh do you have anything else uh any other questions you, you want to ask um yeah i was curious uh, you know i know um we'll probably get into it a little bit later um, oh yeah, we forgot on the on the the you know currently there's a lot of stuff going on at Blizzard. Um, obviously, you don't work at Blizzard, haven't worked at Blizzard, but mm. working in the games industry in general, and I'll, I'll just throw it out there as a games industry in general. Um, what are some observations you have about um, I guess both the gender gap of you know the percentage of of people that are male or female and and in game development, um, and not to mention then beyond that you know culturally. Um, you know, did you experience that it, the games industry in general, is there kind of a frat boy culture? Like we've heard talked about, you know, existing over at blizzard, uh, or is that kind of a, a one-off that, you know, is only, only at that company. Um, and do you see it getting better, worse? I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on all that stuff? They're not good. They're not good. I, um, uh, I have hope for the future, but I have seen a, um, uh, consistent pattern of four letter words that I would describe the, the kind of culture that I've seen. Um, I think you can make a lot of parallels to the movie industry. Um, you keep hearing about the predators that they, as Hollywood is still pulling out of its ranks and the me too movement and going after these absolute terrible, terrible situations. And these people who are straight up predators. Let's call them what they are, predators. 
I think you can draw a lot of parallels between games and movies, and I think that we are at the beginning of us in games starting to acknowledge that predators exist, that we have them in our ranks, and we're starting to pull them out. Starting to. Hollywood started doing that a while ago. They're still doing it today. We've got a long way to go. And there are a couple of things that give me hope, though. Um, I think there are people trying to do the right thing. I think they're often misguided. I think they're often misinformed. I think they're often not going about it in a, a productive way, but at least somebody's trying to do the right thing. Um, also, and this is a, a weird viewpoint for somebody who's trying to start a studio and calls himself a CEO, but I would love to see unions. I would love to see developer unions in the games industry. I don't think unions would solve every problem. I think they would even bring new problems to the table, but I think collective bargaining is one of the ways developers can help protect themselves and each other from these kinds of cultures that we're seeing. Well, and, and not just that, but we go back to the the question, you know, and, and the other, so the two controversies that we've seen in the last couple of years, it's it's this issue and then it's the, the crunch issue. And I, hmm. I know that we can't really go too much into that stuff, but, I feel like unions would be able to help that because it would hold people accountable to work your set hours so make sure that you're not pushing your employees to work more hours than they, they want to, or they should. Um, and then it would put across the board. I mean, yeah, you said it games have target dates. They have to shoot for and all this. Obviously if people are not working as much as they can, that could cause delays in that. But if it becomes more normal and it, and it's, understood that it's just going to take a little bit longer to develop a game um i'm sure the industry would you think would be able to adjust to to longer development cycles than they already have um you know i i understand the idea of you know you, you can't just throw all this money into this one thing and never get any return on it for a very yeah. long time that's the business side you know sure. i i have that background i understand that but i mean you look at companies too like like rockstar who puts out a game every decade um maybe two games a decade but they're games that literally make billions of dollars so they can do that but do you think it would be possible if the development cycles maybe got extended a little longer if the work um you know got got a little bit better if if the work conditions got a little better and and there was those unions do you think that would kind of uh work out okay as far as the timelines go um I think the way the conventional is what I'll call it for lack of a better expression, the conventional way of making games is dated. And I think we need a, a big iteration, probably closer to a revolution um, on two fronts. First, the way we market games. I think we need to stop announcing games until you're basically ready to release them. And that is way easier said than done. That upends the entire way AAA studios talk about games and release games and sell their games. But man, I know that would be upending a lot of these situations, but that would pretty much be the death of crunch right then and there, if we could get to that point. Yeah. Um, the second, and this is a kind of a galaxy brain five head kind of situation to talk about, but I would love to see games adopt the way movies are made where you have your 20th century fox who has their core group of people these are the people sitting down their paper prototyping their movie and they're trying to figure out what the major story beats are what they're trying to build their core aspects i would love for games to adopt the same method and to say like, okay, the creative director and the technical director are gonna go prototype a game, just the two of them. They're gonna take a year to do it. They're gonna figure out what the major pillars are. Okay, we're done, we're confident, and we feel good about this. We focus tested this little tiny game that doesn't have real art. It can just be white boxes jumping around on screen, but we feel good about this, great. Okay, now bring in the UI people, bring in the audio people, bring in the animators, bring in everybody that we need at all these different houses in order to move into production. And when we're done, those people move off to the next thing and the directors move on to prototyping the next game. I mean, you have your 20th Century Fox and you have your Industrial Light and Magic. And Industrial Light and Magic is there to do practical effects the best way possible. And I, that's how I'm starting or how I've kind of fallen backwards into setting up my studio is to be the very best UI people that we can be. 
to kind of adopt that methodology. And it's something that these studios are talking about. It's kind of this beginning. Everybody's edging in into it and being like, is this a is this a thing that we can do? Is uh is this better? Is it worse? I don't know. Let's find out. And so I'm very excited to see what that looks like because I think that's smaller budgets because you don't have to pay for a full staff working on a title for multiple years. You can just pay for the production part. And that savings can probably be translated into better wages and a better bargaining position for these uh, support studios is what I'll call them. You have the, the major studio who's figuring out what the game is, and then you have all these support studios that do their thing especially well. And I'm very excited for that model of making games. That's neat. So That's really neat. To, to kind of close this out, uh, not sure. fully close, but I mean, uh, we like to have this conversation with everybody we talk to. We do it on our Discord. We do it anytime we have somebody who's guesting. Um, what is something that you're playing right now? And uh, what is something you're watching right now? And uh, any recommendations you have for our audience based on your likes, dislikes, all that. And I'll throw in there, so... what are you most excited about coming up? Oh, <laughs> uh, there you go. That, that you have nothing to do with. That I have nothing to <laughs> do you with. Can, Ooh. Right, right. Ooh. What, 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 what movie, show, or game are you most excited to see release in the next year that you can talk about? Gotcha. <laughs> Um, most excited for the new Battlefield. Battlefield 2042. Oh my god. I was a huge fan of every previous Battlefield. That's going to be the game that is what all my friends in Discord and I have been talking about. That's what we're excited about. That's going to be the thing that we just start playing casually uh, like Tuesday night and just catching up and you know running around with a bazooka and blowing everything up. Like that's I'm looking forward to that a lot. Um, uh, as for what I'm playing and what I'm watching right now, Rewatching Psych, uh, huge fan of the show. Just had a hankering for it. Decided to start watching it. Plowed through a uh, like half a season this morning. <laughs> Haven't done much else today. And then what I'm playing right now, uh, some industry friends and I have kind of a, a personal ritual every year where you go back and you play a game that really speaks to why you got into making games. And you go back and the idea is to replay it Play it with a fresh lens, play it with new experiences that you've had, play it to remember why you fell in love with games and making games. Um, and so there's a bridge here. Follow me on this one. The game I'm playing, which is the opposite of that nice thought, is Stalker Call of Pripyat. And it's just a game that has this kernel in it that's so fascinating to me. That's okay. You are first-person shooter, man. You are John Halo running around, you know, shooting the bad guys and everything. And then you come up against something that doesn't go down in a couple of shots. You come up against this thing out of your nightmares that is running after you, that is stronger than you, is faster than you, has attacks and abilities that you don't have access to, that you don't understand right away. And you're going, ah, I thought I understood. Oh, no, I need to adapt entirely to this situation rethink everything that i've been doing because i'm this thing is mad at me and i'm locked in here with it it's me or him we're gonna find out and so i think i haven't played a game since then that's been like that and so i keep coming back to try to learn how they got that across how they made the player feel super powerful and then took everything away to be like no 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 no. you think you understand you do not uh, nice. I do. I do love those kind of twists in games when developers get really creative. Um, the big one that comes to mind, obviously, uh, uh, Metal Gear Solid series. Uh, you have the the two, which you think you're gonna play a snake, and then a couple minutes into the game, you get switched and you play a completely different character. Or, of course, the one of the greatest boss fights of all time in video games, which is the Psycho Mantis fight that the developers got so creative with reading stuff off your memory card i mean that stuff was insane for playstation one days like i still can't believe that they were able to get that stuff during the playstation one um so it, it's always interesting to see that creativity come across in games i'm i'm sure you're waiting for your big moment to do something like that with your own studio i can imagine going back and looking at those games i'm sure you're percolating in your head uh different ideas uh things like that we're really excited to see um you know whenever stuff gets released if we see your name attached to it knowing that we had this conversation and and can kind of see where your head was at during that time <laughs> thanks y'all that means the world to me 
Oh yeah, no, we're yeah. super, we're super excited. We'll, we'll definitely have to have you back at some point in the future. Um, you know, especially after you get some more games out, um, that you can't talk about right now, and you can be like, "Look, this is what I was talking about." Um, <laughs> Just gonna fill can, this wall. We can ask all those questions about yeah. that wonderful game and see where it was at. But uh, we do appreciate you coming on and joining us and and chatting with us and giving us the time. And yeah, Dave. I, I think that's all I've got. Andrew, anything you've got for us? No, nah, not that I can think of. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast, y'all. Yeah. yeah Thanks for being great. on, and uh, we'll chat with you in the future. Sounds good.